Well, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for coming back to Credit Union's Coffee and Conversation. This is Patty Corkery, and I really appreciate for you listening in. Another great episode ahead. I had the opportunity to sit down with one Detroit Credit Union CEO, Hank Hubbard. Uh, Really great conversation from Hank. Um, Coming in with the smaller asset credit union, they're around 57 million in assets with about 40 employees and three branches with his main office being right in the heart of Detroit. It was great to talk to Hank. He has so many insights on being a leader of a smaller credit union, his experience with um, CDFI grants and funding for that is is really a great resource for folks to hear about and learn more about um, as far as the CDFI credit unions go. We had a great conversation, you know, again, emphasizing the niche um, products and services that a small asset size credit union can offer its membership. And Hank goes into detail about one of their products that has just, I'm sure, saved countless number of homes and jobs for his membership. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation that I had with Hank. I'm sure you're going to enjoy getting to know him better. Well, hi, Hank. Thank you so much for joining us on Credit Union's Coffee and Conversation. As I mentioned, you are going to be our first guest for 2022. So thank you for being with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Patty. It's an honor, actually. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. Well, Hank, I know we have a lot of good things that we're going to chat about um, that will be of interest to folks listening. But as I like to start off with all of my guests, um, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and tell us your story. (laughs) (laughs) And that can be whatever story you want to tell. (laughs) Uh, Try and do it in the speed thing. I I was born in Detroit, grew up in Gross Point, um, went to college and and often did a number of different things in retail and in fashion, actually. Uh, And I was back in Detroit running for a friend, a uh, PC consulting firm. And I don't know if anybody knows what a PC is anymore, but <laughs> but it does kind of date me. <laughs> and um, I, I was looking to do something a little different. And one of our clients, which was Communicating Arts Credit Union, um, he thought I needed to be in credit unions. And uh, he he said he was shopping my resume around and found himself a different opportunity. So uh, he recommended me to the board as his successor. So uh, that's how I got into credit unions at the old age of 31. Wow. <laughs> and um, I've been stuck in this dead end job ever since. Since 1991. <laughs> So uh, it's been it's been an interesting journey. We were a seg based credit union newspapers in Detroit. uh, And one of the benefits of being in the same job for a long time is you build some credibility and uh, and a good I've been very fortunate to have a great relationship with my board and been able to influence our direction in something that really interested me and I kind of made my job into what I wanted it to be so it's great 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, a lot to unpack there, but one thing that I think is interesting, and and I I know when I visit your your main office there, is the fact that you're right smack dab in downtown Detroit, and having been there as so, you know as as you have since the '90s, I mean you've seen firsthand the changes that the city has has gone through and evolved. So how how is it to work downtown? Do you like working downtown Detroit? Or pros cons? Um, well, full disclosure, since COVID happened, I haven't been spending much time down there. Right. Um, but yes, I I love, uh, you know, before COVID happened, Detroit has sort of shifted a little bit. But before then, man, I loved it. And, and we had a lot going on um, just in general downtown to make it a much more vibrant place to be in. And I'm kind of a city guy anyway, so I, I loved it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're in a good spot there. I mean, it's just nice to have things that are so walkable. And I know some credit unions also have their main office down there or some branches or satellite offices. And um, it's just such a cool place to be. And, and like you said, obviously, the last couple of years are an anomaly for that. But um, it, it's nice to visit your credit union and, and have you right right down there. I think it, it's a fun place to be. So um so now you're the president and CEO of One Detroit. So why don't you tell us, you know, kind of what's going on at your credit union, how uh, you're navigating through this crazy time and uh, maybe some some good things that are going on and things that you wanted to share with our, our listeners. Uh, well, first, I guess I'd like to say for anybody who is not familiar with One Detroit Credit Union that our focus is people that live and work and worship in Detroit uh, and that. So if you were to look up the census for Detroit, that would be very, very closely aligned with who our members are and who are who we want our members to be. And it's uh, um, it's kind of mostly a low income uh, area. And one of the beauties of our, uh, we have kind of a micro focus where we're just looking at this demographic and trying to do everything we can for that, uh, that membership. And it allows us to, you know, kind of make specialty programs when there's a need and, and, and that kind of thing. So that's who we are, um, mostly African-Americans. Uh, and uh, so, and you, as you know, with the pandemic, African Americans have been um, affected a lot more than yeah. the general population, and so it's it's really interesting. We're being really care careful with our team. Almost everybody's remote, uh, except for the frontline retail, um, and we've been we've been fortunate that we have not had any. Um, certainly, team members have have gotten sick, but not too sick. And uh, it's never been a matter of catching it from others in the branches or anything like that. So we've been right. very fortunate with our protocol, but um, it, it's working out okay. That's I'm not good. sure if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no, it, it does. I know it's been, it's been tough for, for a lot of our, for all of our credit unions, obviously, and for employers in general. So just so what's the asset size currently of One Detroit, Hank? 
we're about 55 million. Okay. So how do you navigate the waters of, you know, the, the consolidation that you're seeing, you know, around the state and around the country um, with a lot of smaller credit unions being approached um, for merger partners or potentially some small, some of our small credit unions don't really have um, secession planning in place. They, the compliance burden becomes too much. I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of reasons why, why some mergers happen. Um, And I know as the league, you know, um, one of our main objectives is to find ways that we can support small credit unions because they're they're vital. And in my opinion, to our industry and they have a place in their community um, and, and who they serve. So how do you navigate that? I mean, is um, you, you've done so well and so many people listening know of you. You're so active in our, our credit union industry, um, more so than a lot of credit unions your size. Um, so we, we love hearing, you know, what's impacting One Detroit and how you guys are, are thriving there. So h- how do you kind of navigate it? What do you see happening as we continue to see these mergers and um, how has it impacted One Detroit? You got a lot of going on in that question, Pat. <laughs> I know. Pick and choose. Pick and choose. So, um, so mergers um, are happening. And I do think that all of the things that you mentioned before the compliance burden, the succession issues, and yeah. uh, those uh, needing needs of economies of scale, I, those, it's all, all pushing us in that direction. And uh, I understand it. I, way back when we were thinking, where's going to be the place for us as a $30 million credit union 10 years from now? And it was, it was kind of difficult to find, find what, that what that would be um, at that time. We have since changed our focus. As I mentioned, we're sort of hyper- micro focused on uh, a pretty specific field of membership. Um, And that has become our niche. And uh, we've been able to leverage that in lots of different ways. And um, one of the biggest things has been when I was worrying about economies of scale, one of the biggest things was, okay, well, maybe there's grant money out there for us. Right. And maybe that is a way to, you know, counteract a need for economies of scale. And I actually learned about it in the Michigan Monitor, the CDFI fund, uh, in my experience has basically been like the, biggest possible help. And it's also very flexible. So um, we, we've been very fortunate to have that. We don't plan, you know, when we're budgeting and stuff like that, we, we don't plan for grant money because you just never know what's going to happen. Right. But it has been able to build up our net worth when we were a little bit low after, you know, it comes and goes with us because we're relatively small and sure. like a losing on a mortgage is going to put a big dent in our net worth. So we, we do, it, it varies, but the grant funds have helped us weather the hard times when 
other credit unions might have to just hunker down and not take risks and um, you know whatever tighten up their lending policies the grant money has allowed us to be brave and keep going forward with our our mission um, even during those downtimes so absolutely great. yeah and i know just uh, we appreciate your input as we've been as a league trying to navigate um cdfi you know the process for credit unions the reasons you know the why behind trying to go down that path partnering and becoming a member of inclusive and i know you're you're on the board of inclusive and very active there so i mean for credit unions that are considering you know how would you kind of describe the process hank i think some people think that either they're not going to qualify or that the, they're so small they don't even have enough team members to assign to the project of filling out the application um, as you know you know ceos at small credit unions are stretched so thin and then you know in addition to that um i've talked to some small credit union ceos that say well okay yeah we know we can get certified but i don't have the team to do anything past that you know um the amount of time it might take to to pursue specific grants so why don't you walk through the process for folks because i know a lot of people are are considering it especially with all of the dollars that have been available over the last year or two and hearing about how some um, amazing grants that some of our michigan credit unions are getting has definitely piqued their interest so what can you say to folks that are like having those concerns that i just mentioned well um that there i can say that they're valid concerns yeah uh, but I can also say that it's worth it. So um, we did, we, I think we did our certification back in 2005. Uh -huh. uh, and back then we were, we were the second credit union in Michigan to get certified. Um, nobody had earned a grant yet. And um, there was really no, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, we've, we've done it all ourselves, as opposed to uh, using consultants, which I would recommend um, to others. And I know other credit unions in Michigan have used consultants successfully. Um, but we did it all on our own. Um, and uh, we got our first grant in 2009 and it was another one of those years where they were you know the government yeah. was trying to help us past a recession right. and it was it was mind-blowing and we have been applying ever since not getting them every year but we've been applying ever since and long ago i said to myself man i should get fired if i don't even apply because yeah. this is this is something worth putting the effort into. Um, we've received over $6 million wow. uh, in all of the years. And boy, that's for a, a smaller credit union, as you stated. Yeah. You know, that is life changing kind yeah. of. Yeah. You know? uh, we have big credit unions that are certified and are, are successfully getting. Yeah, uh, getting grants like Lake Trust and Michigan First, and um, they're able to do, you know, cool projects with that. But for us, it's like, you know, that's adding a percent to our net worth, or you know, whatever. So it's, it's a, it's a big deal, yeah. especially for smaller credit unions. Absolutely. So, do you have somebody on staff that 
manages that or that applies or do you outsource that every time or how do you juggle that? Uh, we mostly do it in-house. Okay. It's mostly me. Okay. And I will admit that it's very, it is very onerous on mm -hmm. data collection and, um, but the big, the big reporting thing is once a year. So it's not, right. not that, you know, it is onerous, especially, you know, when you're doing it kind of like an exam is onerous where they come in and they need everything in the sure. span of a week, but, right. uh, it's, uh, and, and consultants can help you. And I'm, sh I'm sure larger credit unions are using consultants to get that, yeah. get that through. And Absolutely. So how does inclusive come into the play and, and why don't you speak to that group and what they can do to support credit unions? Well, so inclusive um, recently changed their name. And once I tell you what their old name is, uh, you'll see why it's the National <laughs> Federation of Community Development Credit Unions. Okay. Uh, I think there was another word in there somewhere, but it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's a, it, it's basically, um, community development credit unions. Right. And, uh, they, they were one of the, um, originators, people that helped form the CDFI fund. So they're the expert on that. And, um, they have a full suite of services to help people get certified. And as a member, um, they we provide them certain amount of our information normally, and and they're able to use that to do ninety percent of the certification. We have to get recertified every year, so. right? Um, so they're they're really the experts on anything to do with CDFI fund. Um, and and serving the underserved you know um, so they they definitely do not uh, replace the league or cuna but it's it fills it fills a an, an area for us that is really great and yeah. I, I love their their conferences when we can have them are so great because they're so diverse yeah uh, and and i love that so yeah, that's that's cool. And that can segue us into to another topic, and that is diversity. I know you started off mentioning that a lot of your your member base, you know, is in Detroit and a large African-American member base. Um, and, and we have credit unions that, you know, throughout the state that are not in Detroit, obviously, and they're in very, you know, white areas. Um, and I know one of the things that we've been tackling for a while here at the league is to support credit unions and promoting diversity, helping them um, with their procedures and policies and in the DEI space or trying to recruit and retain uh, diverse talent and board members. You know, do you think it's a little bit easier for you, given the fact that you're sitting in such a, you know, a diverse area or a large number of African-Americans that I know you have a pretty diverse board, you know, any advice that you have to credit unions in that space that, you know, are navigating DEI and, and, and trying to not be so white, to be honest, you know, I mean, that's a lot of our industry is, is pretty white <laughs> and yeah. we face those challenges as a league too, of, of making sure that, you know, we're trying to capture, you know, applicants from a very diverse pool. You know, uh, your questions, Patty, you've got to figure out how to 
make them a little more concise because there's so much in there that I could talk. I know. Well, that gives you an option to unpack anything you want out of there. So speak to anything in terms of DEI and diversity and, you know, any advice to credit unions that are looking to be more diverse. Yeah. Well, so um, there's a few things in terms of you touched on our board and yeah, our board is, um, you know, like Five out of seven of them are people of color. Um, I think I think about five out of seven of them are under forty. My chairman is thirty-one. Right. The same age as same age as my daughter. Uh, <laughs> he's such a dynamic guy. Yeah, he's he is totally amazing. Mm -hmm. And his comment when he gets on to calls, like legislative calls, he does that sometimes, um, and. And his comment to me is, everybody is white, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I know that. And so we're trying to uh, push against that also. And, and in fact, for many years, uh, it's been my impression that in Detroit, um, you know, it, for me, it's always been sort of a white and a black and it, we're s sort of segregated. And yeah. Um, part of our mission was brought on by me feeling like I wanted to try and blur that line a little bit because it's just so stark. Yeah. And, um, so to answer your question about um, board members, do you have to recruit them? You yeah. know, you have to be out looking for good possibilities. We have an associate board um, position that we have used to good um, success where we bring people on in the associate board and get to know them a little bit and they get to know our board and um, generally it's a stepping stone to our full board. So that's how you do that. But it's not uh, having said Detroit is black and white, that's not really diversity. I mean, you know, I think many people would look in Detroit, look at a board or a management team or whatever and say, well, how many black people are there? That's diversity. And it's like, well, you know, most of my team is black. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's not diversity. That's still, <laughs> that's still, and, and there's so much more that goes right. on to it. It's age, there's yeah. uh, gender, there's, you know, non-gender. I mean, there's all sexuality. There's all kinds right. of different things. And it's so important, religion, so important to um, keep pushing it, keeping an open mind. Because, yeah. um, you know, I find, I find biases in myself all the time. And I'm always, you got to kind of actively correct yourself all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I know as far as um, our education events, we're hosting um, a DEI one day event in person in the fall, and it'll be our first ever um, DEI summit. So we're looking forward to that and hoping to engage some good speakers and get some people out to really 
try and talk through some of these issues, tackle these issues, educate ourselves on these topics. But, you know, especially, you know, you raise a great point about diversity. It's, it's not um, just color. There's lots of ways that we can be diverse and make sure that we're tackling that. And then for me, I like to focus on the inclusive part as well. You know, we kind yeah. of leave the, the equity and inclusion, you know, off to the side and we're just looking at numbers, you know, and it, it's a lot more than that. So we're hoping to get a good turnout at that conference. So, um, you know, thanks for your thoughts there. Um, switching gears a little bit, um, you know, we have a lot of young professionals that listen to this podcast. I think it's a it's a great tool for them to to hear from some of our leaders that have been in the industry for a while and and learn from them and hear about their path um, down this this industry. So for the to YPs listening out there, um, Hank, what sort of advice um, do you have for them? I, I would say put yourself out there as much as possible. I think uh, I, uh, I, I'm a big fan of fuel. We have, uh, we, one of our team members is kind of a, one of the many leaders of that program and yeah. uh, is now representing young people on the foundation board, which I'm really proud of. Um, it, you know, you, I do think you need to put yourself out there. You need to try and meet people. And you know, remember that every time you have any kind of interaction, it's an opportunity to make a good impression on whoever it is. And I would also say, um, when you meet people, follow up and ask them something. I mean, we all, I mean, well, all right, just Hank then, uh, <laughs> loves to answer questions, especially if they're easy for me, because I've been in the just, yeah. we, I love that. And I love interacting with young professionals. Um, our, our award winner last year, Kyle, uh, I met him many years ago when he was at uh, uh, the AC&E and we hit it off and we've been communicating since. And, and I just think it's, it's fun. It's a privilege and it's fun. You know, so uh, don't be afraid to come up. And he was certainly not afraid to come up and talk to me and ask me a favor. And, you know, I, mean, I was happy to do it. So it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I echo that, too. You know, just people reaching out. I had somebody that was on a, a fuel um, group that I chatted with and um, we got to talking um, kind of just during that session, him and I, and he's at uh, Michigan Schools and Government Credit Union. He's a branch manager and his branch is like four, four I mean, not even four miles from my house. And um, I said, oh, you know, let me know when it's good to stop by. I'd love to come in and meet you in person. And within an hour, he emailed me. So when can you come in, you know, yeah. and um, that's so helpful to me because sometimes I, you know, I talk to a lot of people like you do. And I, as much as I'm, I'm excited to do that, I move on to something else and I forget. So it's great when people are proactive to email or to reach out. And um, even if it's just these, especially now that we're all so proficient at Zoom, you know, I mean, it's so easy to have a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody by this way, you know, through Zoom and, um, you know, but I, I agree. So maybe you're going to get some calls or emails after this podcast with some folks taking you up on that, Hank. I hope, I hope so. I love it. 
Absolutely. Um, so before we get into our five quick questions, um, just wanted to ask, you know, also kind of along the lines of the YP, but what do you do or how do you tackle kind of staying up to date on, on everything? I mean, wake up every morning and there's so much content, so much credit union news, so many things to stay on top of. Um, and I know you wear a lot of hats at One Detroit. How do you keep up on the industry and, and what's going on? How do you stay active? Oh, you're right. It is, it's, it is a flood and it's, yeah. it's, I, I think it's a little bit too much, you know, it's easy yeah. to get overwhelmed by that. Um, so what I do is I rely on my team members to keep up to date and, you know, what's in their buckets. Right. And I just keep strong communications with them. And, uh, a lot of times I will forward uh, an article you had mentioned earlier in a call, uh, the Filene report on overdraft, and I, I sent that out, and <laughs> Jumana, my EVP, sent an email right back saying, I just forwarded that to myself this morning, <laughs> we're on the same page, and it's so nice to see that we're on the yeah. same page about stuff, but um, my, my team stays up pretty well too. And, and I think, you know, I think that expecting that of your team and giving them the resources to stay up to date and talking with them about it, it's not only is it a way to keep your, your, um, you know, your awareness up, but it's a great way to develop your team too. And yes. I would say, uh, on a similar note, something else you just said, uh, the fact that we're all more familiar with the Zoom team sort of format allows us to do more things. I mean, um, your industry calls that you have, there's over 100 people on those calls where if we were, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really do it if it was a conference call. Right. And, uh, you know, if we were trying to do it in person. Yeah. All the commuting time, all the, you know, I mean, yeah. it's so easy to stay informed that way. Yeah. And of course, you'll learn a lot in those industry things too. Oh, well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I know. And I was just telling somebody the other day, it's like, I'm embarrassed to say that prior to the pandemic, I may have been on one Zoom call. I mean, it was it was like it, not a tool that I used. And of right. course, to me, it's like, oh, why not? And I think, you know, we all talk about the, the, the negatives of COVID and this pandemic, but there's definitely some nuggets that have come out of it that are going to make us better. And I think yeah. recognizing yeah. that there are great virtual tools to stay connected and to have, you know, somewhat face-to-face -face dialogue um, are things we need to continue to use. And I know, you know, we certainly will be at the league and I know a lot of credit union teams are going to do the same um, because, you know, it helps you stay connected. It's certainly better than a phone call. Um, and yeah, it's just a great tool. So um, anyway, you know, nothing replaces in my mind, the face-to-face. -face, so I still, you know, love that. And I know everyone does when we do get together in person, we all remark on how great it is to, to have some in-person connection too. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to do that in the spring and summer. Um, 
So I appreciate that. But before I get to my five questions, one thing is, is nagging at me that you mentioned earlier, and that is as a smaller credit union, kind of focusing on some niche things. And one of the things that I talk to smaller credit unions about, I'm no, no means an expert on this, and what I've heard from other speakers when they're kind of talking to smaller credit unions, helping them with some tools on how to survive, basically, is to recognize that you can't be everything for everybody. You know, you, 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 you know, as a small credit union and even arguably at a larger credit union, um, you, you can't be everything for everybody. So focus on one or two things that you're really good at and go after those and don't try and keep up with the Lake Michigan credit unions, you know, the Genesis credit unions that's not in your wheelhouse at the time. So, and you mentioned that, and I, I think, and I'd be remiss in talking to you, Hank, if I didn't bring up some of those, you know, at least one, if you want to highlight one of those programs or those niche markets that One Detroit has captured that has been successful to you. So can you kind of pick one and, and talk about it a little bit? Um, so uh, I guess our Refine My Ride program is, really one of my favorites and right. we we did that um we had the nerve to do it uh because we got some grant money and so we had ourselves covered if we lost a bunch and right. um but we didn't and i would encourage others to do this too is we uh we wanted to help people get out of predatory car loans because really it's appalling if you look yeah. at it. And uh, so um, we knew that high rates and low loan to value were two of the big attributes of that, you know, the, what the problem is there. And so we created this program where we would refinance car loans at half of whatever the rate that they were paying was. And wow. we would okay. go up to, um, in some cases, we've gone up to 140%. Um, those, that would be an exception, but we go pretty high in terms of loan to value. Um, and we just cut it in half of whatever, because we wanted it to be good for both the people in the D&E credit peers yeah but also our good members too, you know, we're, yeah. we're in it for all of them. So, yeah. um, but if you take a 25% rate, which is the max you can charge in Michigan and cut that to 12 and a half, it can save, you know, we've had some that have been four or $500 a month. Yeah. Of all the groceries that you can buy. Oh Absolutely. So we have saved our members I don't know what the number is now. It's over $6 million in terms of the amount of interest that they would have paid to other lenders uh, if we hadn't um, if we hadn't created that program. So it's, you know, groceries, healthcare, gas, car yeah, insurance. Well, their mortgage. You can think about how many homes you've saved these people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of those like legacy programs where, you know, if you really had um, a big picture of the impact that you all had with just that program, like you said, $6 million. I mean, that's, yeah, 
that's such a great example and one in which, you know, we love to share, you know, with our lawmakers from an yeah. advocate run about how credit unions are different. Because my guess is, is not a lot of those rates that you cut in half were credit union originated lenders. You know, there might have been some, but oh, well, yeah, there are some, but most of them are yeah. you know, the yeah. the normal ones that you we all notice. Right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, and the, key, the other key about that is the main uh, underwriting aspect that we look at is have you been paying the loan yeah. with your other lender? So we have really, really, really low credit score people coming in and, and, um, and, and taking advantage of this program. And the thought process, and it'll, I think it seems pretty obvious in hindsight, but our thought process is if you can pay that loan, yeah. then of course you can pay one with a lower payment. Yeah. One would <laughs> so, think. So yeah. uh, we yeah. don't refinance loans that are delinquent. Right. So in a way they're sort of pre-qualified. And absolutely. Well, we have been surprised at, at uh, the lack, uh, lower amount of delinquency with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, their capacity to pay increases substantially when you're cutting it in half, um, yeah. for sure. Um, all right. Well, that's an amazing program and, and congrats to you and your team on, on that. And um, I know that's just one example of some of the great niche things that One Detroit has done, but um, I didn't, I'd be remiss if we didn't cover at least one. So I'm glad we got to that. Um, but I do want to ask, as I do with all of my guests, just as a way to kind of get to know you better, some five questions that I, I propose to everyone at the end. So we can go ahead and get started on those. So the first one is what is on your nightstand at home? Well, I've heard some of your other podcasts that <laughs> uh, Jeff started with a clock radio, I think. Right. <laughs> I, I do have one of those and yeah. I do have a lamp. And, um, but mostly what's on there is my iPad, uh, which I, I read almost everything that I read on, through my iPad and check news and email. And uh, it's a good way to put off getting out of bed, too. So that's nice. Yeah. True. <laughs> over, I know. Uh, all right, cool. So what is something that people get wrong about you, Hank? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there, I, I am in an interesting situation um, for uh, a white guy is that I am often in a room where everybody else is a person of color. And uh, I'm a white guy of a certain age, and I run a financial institution. And I live in Gross Point, which is kind of an affluent yeah. suburb. Um, and I think that there's a stereotype that people think of a white guy that runs a financial institution from Gross Point should be. Right. And I uh, and I I get that more in a room with full of people of color. Uh, they're always sort of surprised. They're like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute, I can talk to you. <laughs> you yeah. And so, um, yeah, and when I'm talking to people about uh, the credit union and, you know, when there's someplace else, I will sometimes say, well, do you know the president of your financial institution? You know, do you know Jamie Dimon? <laughs> yeah, sure. We go boating every year. 
<laughs> and and they look at me like, of course I don't. And I said, well, know the president of one Detroit credit union because yeah. you're talking to him, you know. Yeah. So, Absolutely. So that's that's kind of a funny thing. That's that's an interesting one. Thanks, Hank, for that. So if you could have coffee with anyone, who would it be and why? You know, that's a tough question because I uh, I don't normally think that way. I have, you know, I have credit union heroes, but I've been very fortunate to get to be friends with them. So I can't sit down and uh, have coffee with them. I'm having coffee with you. So yeah. uh that's good. So I, I had a hard time when I was thinking about what I might answer on that. And uh, I picked Michelle Obama. Mm. She's, uh, she has always impressed me on all kinds of different levels. And I would really, I would like to meet her. Yeah, she seems like she'd be a lot of fun. And uh, I don't know if you've read her book Becoming, but I listened to it on Audible and she narrates it. And it was just so interesting to hear her story. You know, I and, agree. Yeah. I, uh, I listened to it too. I and yeah. and it's she's so great. It it was just like you were talking to her. I know. Yeah. Very personable. And I love how she maybe was I don't have to have coffee because yeah. <laughs> she, was, um, she was Barack's boss, which I always think is kind of funny, you know. <laughs> well, I know that I got the same situation here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell us a bucket list travel destination. Forget about the pandemic. If the pandemic wasn't here, where, where, what's your, what's your bucket list travel destination spot? Well, I've been really fortunate to, um, in the last half of my life, my first half, I didn't even have a passport, but, uh, the last half of my life, I had some great, both in, both in the U S and outside, um, and I've been able to go to the places that I really wanted to go to. Um, as, and like with the World Council, I was in Macedonia, which wasn't even on my radar. Wow. It was so cool. cool. And um, Kenya, yeah. which I've been to several times with the World Council and um, the Association of British Credit Unions. I've been to their conference twice. And, you know, so I, I've had some pretty great travel credit union related travel opportunities i think um australia and new zealand uh, and i know that's a pretty not very a very distinct <laughs> place but um so i need a lot of time when i go but yeah absolutely well i Incorrect. You need a lot of time just because it takes a darn long to get there. Those were actually on my calendar um, until the pandemic hit. And then, as we all know, Australia shut down pretty hard from tourism and I think is, is still a challenge to get into. Um, but yeah, that that would be fun. Those would be both beautiful places to go. And it's kind of like if you're already over there in Australia, even though it's so huge, you have to make time to see New Zealand because you're like right there. You're right there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, you ha you just got back from an amazing yeah. trip. We're friends on Facebook, so I, yeah. I got to 
I, I got to snoop. And then by the time you came home, I was so jealous. I'm not sure I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> no, you commented one of my uh, patients <laughs> that you were jealous. I know it was kind of like, you know, you kind of get to the mindset, at least I'm there too. Obviously I don't want to get COVID, but I, I'm going to live my life, you know, and I'm fully vaccinated and boosted and, you know, we hope for the best, but it, I mean, it's already been two years. So how, what more percentage of my life am I going to stay at home? And it's like, eh. and I'm fortunate to not have any pre-existing conditions or, you know, some of that stuff that I know a lot of folks really worry about, but it's, it's hard. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did it in retrospect. It was definitely more of a challenge. I, one of the things I was talking to somebody about travel during the pandemic that, that COVID kind of ruins um, is your excitement for the trip because you have so much anxiety as to whether or not your flight's going to get canceled or you're going to get COVID and not be able to go or yeah. your destination country is going to shut down. And so until you're actually, and that's how my daughter and I approached this trip until our feet hit the ground in Italy, we didn't really look forward to it, you know, because you just are waiting for the other shoe to drop because we've heard of so many friends and I'm sure it happened to you too. Trips were canceled, flights canceled. And yeah. so I always love to have a trip on the horizon to look forward to. And COVID has kind of taken that away to some extent for yeah. sure. Yeah. So first world I, problem, but it's- I know I, I am sort of, I'm going to the GAC. Yeah. Um, but that you're right. It does sort of dampen the enthusiasm huh? until you get there. I, yeah, I, absolutely. I too am vaccinated and boosted and doing everything that I can to stay safe and keep keep the people around me safe. Um, but I, I, I think we can get out and do some of these things as long as we're being careful about it. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And I'm truth to that. I mean, I, I went over there, went to a couple countries and came back and knock on wood, I'm fine. And I don't know. They were saying for international travel, if, if you can actually, um, if you test positive over there, if you can manage being quarantined, we're in your destination um, for international travel, then go for it. You know, but that is a consideration you have to take, especially with this Omicron is if, if is, would my life be totally <laughs> screwed if I got stuck in whatever country? Yeah. And for me, I just knew going in that there was a chance. So I brought my work laptop. I had, I had accommodations. I had arrangements for things back here in case that happened. And a lot of folks can't do that. You know, I mean, you have little kids or whatever, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. Hopefully we're, hopefully, you know, it'll get better. Um, okay. So last, last question, Hank, what is one trader quality that every leader should strive for? Yeah. You know, um, I think, I think it's empathy. Um, and I, I know that's pretty consistent with a lot of your other guests is, you know, you need to be able to listen, you need to be able to try and put yourself in that person's shoes and then use that um, uh, to help you decide if you need to make decisions. Um, and I think that showing that is a huge, um, a huge thing for your team. You know, if they know that I'm listening to them and I care about their position and I'm trying to understand what, where they're coming from, I know that that's appreciated. Yeah. Um, it sort of goes back to like 
somebody's preconceived notions of who I might be. Right. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the person that they might be thinking I am, you know, right. so, right. And, uh, so, yeah, and no, I think, I think that it's integrity and empathy, really. Yeah. Do what you say you're going to do. Absolutely. That's great. Well, Hank, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, it was great to get to know you a little bit better and I'm sure the listeners will agree and you have some great ideas and reflections, you know, with your time in the industry. And, um, I look forward to seeing you at the GAC and getting together soon, but I appreciate so much your time and, um, all of your very thoughtful responses. So thanks for being on. It's a treat for me, Patty. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Hank. Well, that's a wrap on my Credit Union Coffee and Conversation podcast with Hank. Um, it was wonderful to have Hank. I'm sure you enjoyed hearing from him and learning more about One Detroit and Hank's credit union journey and all the insights he had for our young professionals and just being such a great leader in our industry. Um, I really value Hank's involvement. He is at so many of our events and chimes in um, on a lot of our issues. And I, I really value the relationship that the MCUL has with Hank. And I'm sure a lot of you listening um, also value your relationship with Hank. He's a great guy. So hope you enjoyed that. Stay tuned. We have some more episodes in the works. Uh, really excited this year for the podcast, bringing you different thought leaders in our industry. So please continue to listen. If you have an opportunity to um, like the podcast, be sure to do that so you'll get the episodes as they come in. Just a couple things to highlight. Really excited as we're continuing with our MCUL affiliation. If you're listening and your credit union hasn't completed your affiliation form yet, please get that in. We'd love to have that back from you soon. Also, we have some fabulous new pack pins. Wanted to highlight our frontliner pin that is new this year for your frontline team members. Um, just to recognize how valuable um, your frontline team, of course, have always been, but especially um, navigating through this pandemic. Finally, on the foundation front, um, we have something new that I know our foundation team is really excited about called Smart Path, which is just another great financial education tool to work with various schools. So please check out our website for more information on that, as well as all of our education events and what's latest and greatest in the advocacy space. Um, check that out. All that info is available at mcl.org. Thanks again for listening and um, talk to you soon.